Russ, deja vu, um, come on up and, um, and share with us. Russ Wilson, a pastor, leads a network of churches, evangelical churches across Canada, worships here uh, with his family, and uh, we're glad to have you, so thank you. Good to be here again, Phil. Thank you so much. Um, it is a, a joy to be here. I'm not here often, and so if you don't recognize me, that's because um, I'm just not here very much. Uh, so I'm here today, and then the next three Sundays I'm gone on the road again, and that is my life. Uh, planes and rental cars and um, going out on the road. And, and you know, as I get into my rental car often, one of the things that I'm still so amazed at is that as I'm driving down the road, I, you know, they have laws against using these things when you're driving a motorized vehicle, right? Yes. And what they call that distracted driving laws, right? And so, you know, because they know that if you're actually looking at this thing as you're driving, your full attention is not on the job that you have of driving your motorized vehicle. And the reason they did that was because they said it's dangerous. There are consequences. You could run off the road. You could run into somebody. You could run over somebody. There's all kinds of possibilities. And as I travel and as I get to minister in churches, I wish that there were distracted driving laws for churches, because I would hand out fines left and right. I got all kinds of churches who are distracted by all kinds of things. And what my job often is, is to try and help them get back on track. And sometimes I'll sit down with a board for a whole weekend and we'll just, they'll just say to me, Russ, we just, we don't know where we are. We're not sure what we're doing. We need your help. And I'm glad to be able to go there and do that. But you know, personally, I have to be honest, there's lots of times when I'm distracted as well. I can get distracted over the smallest things. I can just, oh, there it goes. And I forget what I was about. Spiritually, I think that's the battle that you and I are in all the time. Fortunately for you and I, we serve a Heavenly Father who loves us passionately and who's always, in my life anyway, calling out to me in a variety of ways. And so it wasn't too long ago that I was distracted and I was just kind of going along in my life and I'd forgotten sort of some things that were important and, and I popped up on my computer screen as I was reading through a, a series of articles that there was this new book that was coming out. And so I was excited about that because the book was called um, chase the lion. And so right away I thought, oh, that sounds exciting. And so I, I pre-ordered the book and uh, waited for it to come. But the other thing they did was they gave you a free download of the very first chapter. Now, the opening of the very first chapter, let me just explain to you what the book's about. The book's based on one little tiny verse in Scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 23 and verse 20. It's a little verse in there in the section where David's mighty men are being assembled, and they're kind of describing to you different character traits about these guys. And in 2 Samuel 23, 20, it says about this guy named Benaiah that, now listen to this, on a snowy day, he chased a lion down into a pit and killed it. Same response as last night. <laughs> I just have to assume that you guys have all done that, so it's no big deal. <laughs> Let me just go over that little verse again. On a snowy day... He chased a lion. It wasn't like he bumped into him. He knew what it was. It was a lion. And he chased it. Think about that. Most of us, if we see a lion, the only place we want to see it is was behind caged doors, right? But Benaiah, on a snowy day, chased a lion. He didn't just chase it. He chased it down into a pit. And so now there's just him and the lion in the pit. Are you impressed yet? And then he killed it. So if I'm David and I'm looking for some mighty men 
And, and I get the resume of a guy named Benaiah, and all it says on there is that on a snowy day, he chased the lion down into a pit and killed him. I'm thinking, bring him in. I want to meet this guy. You guys probably say, oh, well, we've got 100 of those, so it doesn't really matter. But I would be impressed. And, and David was. And so Mark Batterson, when he came across that verse of Scripture, he said it became his life verse, and he's written several books on this little aspect of Scripture, and he's a dreamer. He wants to see things happen and stuff. And so he ended up writing in the opening part of the book this thing that's called The Lion Chaser's Manifesto. And I just love it, and I want to read it to you this morning as a way to kind of remind us that we've got to get focused again. So here's the Lion Chaser's Manifesto. Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Just stop right there. 60% of you are reading the next line, aren't you? (laughs) Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. You know, when I first read that, I was at one of those points when I was calculating sort of the the future of my life, and I was thinking down the road, and, and I was trying to negotiate in my own mind how I could get there, as Mark Batterson says, safely at death, And all of a sudden, this just whacked me up the side of the head. So he says, run to the roar. Set God-sized goals. Pursue God-given passions. Go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Stop pointing out problems and become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past. Start creating the future. Face your fears. Fight for your dreams. Grab opportunity by the main, that's M-A-N-E, and don't let go. Live like today is the first day and the last day of your life. Burn sinful bridges, blaze new trails, live, and I love that line, live for the applause of nail-scarred hands. I wonder what that sounds like. If my Savior in heaven is looking at my life, he's looking at your life, and he's clapping because he loves the way that you're living. Wow. Wow. He says, don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Dare to fail. Dare to be different. Quit holding out. Quit holding back. Quit running away. Chase the lion. Now, I just need those sort of things from time to time in my life to remind me, to bring me back, to refocus my life. And I think the Apostle Paul would love the Lion Chasers Manifesto because as I read my Bible, he was a guy who wasn't interested in coasting to the finish line He was interested in maximizing as much as he could of his life for the very glory of God. So turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians 3. We will want to outline a few different things about this chapter that kind of remind us about our focus and where we should be and what's going on. So let me just read through the the passage for us. Philippians 3, we'll start at verse 1, and we'll read through, and as you find it, you can catch up. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Now let me, I gotta remind us a little bit about Paul. Paul wrote this book, to this church in Philippi, an actual place, an actual group of people, while he was sitting in jail for his faith. All right? Just a little reminder about who Paul was and where he was. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again and again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs. Here's a little warning for us. Those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by a spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though... I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul goes on now to do a little bit of spiritual bragging from the past, as it were. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, setting up his his resume. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness, it was based on the law. I was faultless, Paul says. But whatever... Now we see a transition happen in the passage. 
He went from bragging now to transitioning to something brand new. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that was what he was bragging about formerly, remember? But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. This is Paul's passion here, the clarity of his purpose in life. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let's just outline this passage and work through it quickly this morning as we look at this idea of kind of from time to time, God brings us back to refocus our lives on the things that are important or the person, I would correctly say, who is important. And that, of course, is Jesus Christ. Focus takes more than saying it once. If you're a teacher, you don't start off the classroom in the fall by announcing to your students and saying, well, here's what we're about, children, and this is what we're going to do. And we only ever say it once because those children are so smart... They only need to hear it once. You don't do that. It's got to be said again and again. If you're a parent, as that child turns each year on the calendar to a new age, you don't say to them, well, you know, now that you're 10, we have some new expectations of you, and I want to lay out what a 10-year-old is going to be like in our home, and then you only have to say it once because they just remember so well, right? Now we have laughter. No, we say it again and again and again because we repeat it because we have to keep on reminding them what it's about and what we expect of them. Well, Paul says in verse 1, My brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. Your pastor, Pastor Phil, will come back and remind you of things again and again. And it's no trouble for us as leaders in God's church to do that because we love the Lord, but we love you as well. And we want to remind you of the things that are important. Really, that's what this Sunday morning is about. You probably aren't necessarily going to hear anything brand new today, but God, by his spirit, is going to remind you that some of us have lost our focus. We've gotten chasing after other things that aren't as important as the central focus of Jesus in our lives. Paul says for them to rejoice. Now, you have to remember, Paul was writing from a prison cell, so he wasn't speaking from a place of blessing. He was speaking from a place of hardship But his hardships were not the thing that were going to dictate whether he was focused on Jesus or not. Because he says, rejoice, rejoice. It's no trouble for me to mention it again, Paul says. Rejoice. Just a good reminder for us. Focus takes more than just saying it once. Also, focus takes being watchful for distractions. And as he moves on into verse 2 through 6, we see his warning to those who are part of the church family but he knows there's battles that come our way and there's individuals and just things in life that will clearly distract us so he says watch out for those dogs those men who do evil those mutilators of the flesh for it is we who are the circumcision we who worship by the spirit of god who glory i love that phrase in the niv who glory in christ jesus there's a sense of the centrality of it all that we would glory in jesus Paul says, watch out for the thing. So take note, beware, think about, take stock, take some time and say, are there things or people in my life right now who are taking me off course? Or am I chasing Jesus and Jesus alone? It's a daily spiritual battle. 
Every single day. This isn't the kind of thing where you make one decision to say, okay, now I'm on focus. That's good for the rest of my life. It doesn't work that way. It's ongoing. Paul's concern and his warning to beware is an ongoing thing in our lives. A few months ago, we had sold our home here in town, and, and uh, we hadn't found a new one yet, and so we were packing up all our belongings. We were going to put them in storage, and, and uh, we were going to move in with some friends who were gracious and take in a couple of homeless people like ourselves. And so uh, as we were packing things up, though, uh, our two-year-old granddaughter who lives here in the city would come over to visit us from time to time, and, and the house was getting more and more different. She'd been over there lots when things were normal, but now things were no longer normal. There were boxes piled up by the front door when she came in. There was stuff off the walls that had been hanging there before. There was furniture that was moved. Things were radically different. But it was interesting to me that as she would come in, every single time, she never once asked me what was in the boxes. She never once stopped to open a box. Every single time she would come in through that front door, she would call out, Pappy, where are you? And I could be anywhere in the house, but she didn't get sidetracked by all the stuff. She'd weave in down the hallway, in amongst the boxes and stuff, until she found where I was or her grandmother, Miss Sue, and and she would want to spend that time with us. And as I watched that happen, it was over time, and and I can remember praying about uh, my relationship with the father and and him reminding me, well, remember when London would walk in and, and she had no interest in any of the stuff? He reminded me that I so often get worked up about the stuff. And I want to stop and look what's in the box. And never mind my Heavenly Father because I've got to figure out what's in the box. And why it's there. And what's going on. And I get sidetracked. Paul says, watch out that you don't get sidetracked. And, and a two-year-old was a reminder to me that we can weave in amongst all the stuff in our life. And we're looking for the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, who's right there waiting for us to find Him in the midst of everything that's going on in life. Are you doing that? It's not that the stuff happening is wrong or bad or anything else. It's just that in the midst of it, let's find the Father. Because He's there. Just like I was in the house and London would walk in and say, Are you? And she would look and look and look until she found me. And then she was happy and would run up and give me that hug that I so much enjoyed. I think our Heavenly Father is waiting for us day by day to weave in amongst the stuff of our life and connect with Him and say, okay, now that we're together, what's the plan for the day? Because that would be focused. Focused. So Paul, in this passage in in Philippians, reminds us that we got to be watchful for the distractions. He says, watch out for those who would be mutilers of the flesh, who distract you. It is we who are the circumcision. We serve God by His Spirit. We have reason to boast. And Paul goes on to list all of his resume of the things that he had the reason for boasting for. And then he goes on to say that, I I don't do that anymore, though, if we look in the passage. We move on to verse 7, and he says, all that stuff that I had in the past, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss. You see, focus takes that ongoing decision day by day. Like London looking for me in the midst of the stuff, it takes that decision to say, I want the Father. He looked at what he had as a resume, all that stuff, and he said, I'm making a decision. And my decision is that stuff's not important. Because I'm focused in on one person and one person only, and his name is Jesus. It was a decision that he made. I love the way he words it. Whatever was to my prophet, spiritually speaking, anything that I thought was important, 
he says, I now consider a loss. It went from being really important, a prophet, to where now Paul says, I now consider that a loss. That's, that's not important at all. For the sake of Christ. He goes on from there, though. He doesn't just stop there. This idea of it being a daily decision isn't that one-time thing where he looked at everything and said, you know what, all the stuff from the past, my law and my pharisaical upbringing and all that stuff I knew, I consider that as a loss. But he goes beyond that because he says in verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Have we done that? Have we looked at our lives and, and tallied it up like a, 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 a profit and loss statement and said, here's all the stuff that I thought was really important, but you know what? I'm going to put that aside because what's really important is Jesus Christ. And day by day by day, it's going to be so important that I'm going to look for him in the midst of everything that's going on in my life, my career, my family, my friends, my neighborhood, all that stuff that's there in life, which is just stuff. I'm going to look for Christ in the midst of that day by day by day and make him the very focus of my life. Wow. What is your focus? How do we know what our focus is? That's a great question. Well, just ask yourself, what is it that draws your attention what is it that causes you in the, in the quieter moments of your life to think about? What is it that you find yourself giving energy to? What is it that you're striving for and working hard at? Is Jesus in the midst of that? Is he at the center of that? What do you dream about? What are you investing in? If people around you were asked, what is he or she passionate about? What would the answer be as they were talking about you? Those are great questions to ask. Paul, it was pretty clear for him. What is more, I consider everything a loss, verse 8, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul had looked at his life, examined things, and said, this is what I'm going to do. Uh, about a year ago, I was teaching at a, a pastor's time, and, and I had a friend of mine, Dr. Wes Olmsted from Briarcrest, come, and, and he was teaching through Matthew chapter 28. And it was interesting because one of the most important statements that he made wasn't a deep theological statement because that's what he is. He's, he's a theologian. But what he said when he was talking about followers of Christ, he said, what we all have to do is at some point in time, we have to take our no card where we would say to God, no, I'm not going to do that. And we lay that down. And we say, I don't have it anymore. Because my life is about yes to Jesus. And it's a decision that I made, yes, in the past, but it's a decision that I'm going to go on making day by day by day where every single day is a yes day to Jesus. Because I don't have a no card to play. I laid that down. Do you think Paul ever looked at God and said, no, I'm not going to do that? No. Paul was yes for Jesus. He said, For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having some kind of righteousness of my own that would be from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God. And so when we look at this idea of 
following along and seeing who Christ is, the last part that we see in verses 10 and 11 is that focus takes a deep-seated desire and he lives it out. You could not accuse the Apostle Paul of being casual about his faith. It wasn't sort of a a weekend-only kind of thing with Paul. Because when we read verse 10, we can see the very centrality of Christ in Paul's life. Because those great words that he sat in a prison cell and wrote out to a church that was some distance away, and he said to them, I want you to know this about me. I want to know Christ. Oh, we cannot read that with some kind of monotone voice. There's a passion that comes out of that. It's not a casual thing. It's a central thing. I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. And and I'm laying down my no cards so that I can even know him by the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings because I want to be like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead myself. I want to know Christ. It's crisp, it's clear, it's concise. Is that the testimony of your life today? Where you'd simply say, that's the central reason why I'm here, is I want to know Jesus. And yeah, I have jobs and careers and families and all those things which are A-OK, But in the midst of all that, boy, oh boy, I want you to know something. I want to know Jesus. And so that's why I said earlier, it's not going to be something brand new that I'm going to talk about to you today. It's something I want to remind you of. And it's no trouble, as Paul said in verse 1, for me to bring you back to this central idea again, that our lives are called to be about Jesus. And then we live that out day by day by day by day. For his glory and actually for our good. Because it's there that our souls are satisfied when we are fleshing that out, living it out day by day by day by day. And in case we think that Paul may be a little extreme and we're not all to be like that, and remember, Paul wasn't perfect either because he said, not that I've already obtained all this, verse 12, or been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Jesus took hold of me. He said, I forget what's behind, I press on to what's ahead. I press toward the goal of the prize to which God called me heavenward. And then in verse 17, he says, join with others in following my example, brothers. He calls us to look at our lives and say, you know what, I want my life to be like Jesus. I want my life to follow in this line. I want my life to be centrally focused in on knowing Jesus Christ within the midst of everything else that's happening in my life. Paul isn't an extremist. Paul is a mature follower of Christ who says, hey, I still mess up. I still get sidetracked, but I forget that then and I move on and I say, okay, here's where I'm going now. I I, I made a mistake. I blew it, but I'm here again now. And maybe today for you, that's the testimony for you today. That yeah, you've been sidetracked and yeah, you've been off base. But God says this morning, hey, I love you. I'm calling you back. That's why I sent that guy here today to call you back to the centrality of Jesus in your life once again. The band's gonna come up and they're gonna play a closing song that I've asked them to play. And it's called Jesus Bring the Rain. And the song's written by a band called Mercy Me and And they wrote this song in the midst of some very trying circumstances in their own lives. They they had some brokenness. They had some things that were not going at all the way that they had envisioned or thought or wanted. But in the midst of that, they said, you know what? If that's what it takes to bring my life back into focus, then I say, Jesus, bring it on. 
bring on the pain or bring on the rain or whatever the case may be because what I want my life to be about is Jesus and him only. And so as you listen to the band play this song and sing along as you want, think about where you're at and whether this was one of those Sundays that Jesus said, hey, I'm calling out to you to get you back in focus on the things that I want you to be about. And so listen as the band does this song.